this week, we come to week five of our Heart to Heart series, and we've been studying these encounters with Jesus, who has just brought us closer and closer to him. He invites us in every single one of these things to see him, to see who he is, to welcome him into those spots together. And in the first week, we were facing Jesus, and the, and the Satan, the devil, came to him, told him lies, gave him temptations and things. And Jesus challenged us to understand what we can do with temptation, underst- helped us to understand and clarify that temptation comes after those 40 days in the desert. Temptation is something that happens after we feel like we've already won the battle, already won the victory. And in week two, it was Jesus and Nicodemus coming together, seeing each other. And Jesus challenged us to live in the light, that Nicodemus came to Jesus in the darkness, that he was alone and scared and forever wondering who Jesus was in the darkness of night. And Jesus challenges us to see God's kingdom as one about the light and growing from that. In week three, we saw Jesus and the woman at the well, and we understood about what thirst actually means. We, we learned that what it means to be thirsty is to create thirst in other people, that if we cannot be there to do that for them, if Jesus is not going to be there for us in all of those things, we need to be the ones that are causing the contagion, the the. the the thirst to come through. Week four, we saw Jesus and the formerly blind man who we named Gary. And we know that truth comes at a cost. And what the blind man did was he stood in front of the Pharisees. He stood in front of the high council and he just spoke the truth. I was blind, but now I see truth comes at a cost. He was thrown out of the temple. His parents didn't recognize him. His neighbors didn't recognize him. These are the sacrifices that come with truth. This is perhaps this week one of the most dramatic encounters in the entire New Testament. There have been stories, five, I think six maybe, in other places of people coming back to life. We can think of the prophet Elijah bringing back the young child. That dramatic story but none may be so dramatic than this. And we're, when we encounter Jesus here, we are faced with two really big, really desperate questions that Jesus brings to the table. The whole text this morning is John 11, 1 through 44. That's a lot to read in one sitting. So I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit of the beginning And then we'll pick up in verse 17. Jesus is teaching in Galilee, and he receives a message. Um, Whether it's written, whether it's from a messenger, we don't know. But he receives a message from someone that says, Lord, the one whom you love is very sick. Now, had we received a message like that, we would drop everything we're doing and rush to his side. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus very calmly says, Lazarus has fallen asleep and we must go to him. 
And in verse six, it says, he lingered there for two more days. The one you love the most is sick and you linger for two more days. That's not what I would expect God to do. That would not be what I expect the ultimate healer, the Messiah, to do. And so finally, he says to his group, his disciples, we must go back to Judea. And this is a funny part of the story that maybe we'll save for another day. But um, Thomas is there, and he says, go back to Judea. Don't you remember what they just did? At the end of chapter 8, he doesn't say that because that wasn't written down yet. But at the end of chapter 8, don't you remember they tried to stone you? They picked up stones, and they were going to kill you. And you finally succeeded in leaving. And now here we are in chapter 11. Again, he doesn't say that. But here we are further in the story. And you want to go back to the place where they want to kill you. And so he says, yes, let's all go back to Jerusalem where we all may be killed. The disciples didn't understand. We don't understand. Jesus is working on a different level than the rest of us. And so we pick up the story in verse 17, where Jesus has now shown up in the little town of Bethany. It says, when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, it's about a three-day journey to Jerusalem from Galilee. And um, as we're going to find out, Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem. So Jesus lingered in Galilee for two days. It took him another three days. So about the time that he was getting the message, Lazarus was dead. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, uh, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. She didn't really answer the question, though, did she? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Well, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Lord. I believe that you are the Son of Man who comes into the world. Now, from our perspective, one of the most frustrating things about God is he doesn't listen to us. The most frustrating thing about God is that he doesn't do what we want him to, what we expect him to do, what he ought to do. Jesus, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. If you would have listened to my prayer, if you would have heard the things that I was saying, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, maybe you hadn't noticed, but I'd been praying about this opportunity for quite some time. 
If only you had paid attention a little bit more, Jesus, I would have had that job. All of these opportunities would have been opened to me, Jesus, had you done what I expected you to and what you ought to do as a Messiah and a Savior and Son of God who has come into the world. Jesus is God. We know that. What we see from him, what we see from Jesus is a direct representation of God. The fact that Jesus delays is so frustrating to Martha. She places the blame right at his feet and says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's so frustrating. What could have been more important than healing your dearest friend? What was so important? Well, I'll tell you what was more important than healing my friend. The work of the kingdom was more important than healing my friend. Proclaiming the kingdom has come was more important than healing my friend. Just about everything on this earth was more important than healing my friend. Because Jesus is here to proclaim that it wasn't about healing his friend. That there was nothing he wanted to do to save his friend. Now, the spirit of their words belongs to an ancient tradition of crying out to God. We might look at Martha and say, oh, Martha, please, girl, come on, get it together. You don't yell at God. You don't get angry at God. You don't say these things to God. Well, I invite you to read the Psalms. Because there are a handful of them, lots and lots of psalms, that provide ample context for complaints brought to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says this on the cross, a direct quotation of Psalm 22. My God, where have you gone? Are you not here? My enemies prosper in my Midst, and yet I see your hands nowhere. Had you been here, God, this wouldn't have happened. Get in line, Martha. Because God doesn't do what we expect him to do. But there doesn't seem to be any doubt that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. The interesting part about this story, and as we've been tracking through John... We have different levels of belief. We start with the devil who actually proclaimed God to to Jesus to be the son of God, but yet wasn't a follower or a disciple. That would be ridiculous. And then we go to Nicodemus who was a disciple of God and a religious leader, but could not get himself to stand in the light of Christ and admit that he was the Messiah. And then we have the woman at the well who is slow to believe and slow to be revealed who Christ is standing in front of her. And then we have the man who was at the waters who had been born blind from birth. And he's immediately, yes, healed. And I know who this is. And now we have Mary and Martha who are already believers by the time Jesus gets to them, who have been disciples for a very long time of Jesus. And this progression of Jesus does not do the things that anyone believes, and even his deepest disciples, his deepest believers, as he comes to them, they still are upset with what has happened. 
And so there doesn't seem to be any doubt in their mind that Jesus could have healed them. In fact, we skipped over this, but in chapter four at the end of that, Jesus heals the the royal guard's son from a distance. He comes to him and says, my son is sick, boom. Your faith has healed him. (laughs) They had seen that done for a royal guard who was part of the oppressive Roman Empire. You did that for him, Jesus, and we sent a note ahead, and it wasn't done for us. Why treat those people like that? When you're Best and greatest followers are right here, not even receiving anything. The interesting part, I think, about this story and the message is that the sisters don't even ask to heal Lazarus. They send a message to say, the one whom you love is sick. Not P.S., please heal him. It was, he's sick. And so, therefore, we're just going to assume that the next thing you're going to do is heal him. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be like pedantic here, but they didn't ask for it. Shouldn't our prayers be specific? Shouldn't our prayers be wanting and asking something of God? But I'm going to stop you there because there's more to this story than what we're seeing in the outliers. Because I think that even if they did ask for Jesus to heal him, he would have made the same decision that he made. Because again, it wasn't about the healing. Jesus didn't drop everything and go and heal him. He didn't say right there, yes, I can feel the faith in this message. He has been healed. But here's the fact about Jesus is that Jesus never prays for sick people. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. He prays for forgiveness. He prays for daily bread. He prays for the coming kingdom, but he never mentions sickness. What does Jesus know that we don't know? What is the perspective of the Son of God that we've failed to see and live up to. This should tell you what Jesus' priorities are, the kingdom, forgiveness, the daily necessities of life. Let's stop, though, at sickness. And isn't it amazing that in the church today, in the modern belief system that we've built around ourselves, that most of our prayer requests are for sickness and healing? That when we go to God, we don't ask for forgiveness, that we don't ask for our daily bread, that we don't ask for the coming kingdom, that we don't pray for the poor in spirit, that those hungering and thirsting after righteousness, those who are mourning, we pray instead for sickness. And Jesus never did. In fact, he told us in Matthew 6, 6, here is how you should pray. First of all, start with all of your ailments. Just list them top to bottom. Make sure God knows how sick you are and you will be magically healed. If you had been here, Lord, this would not have happened. 
Jesus refuses to allow death to tell him what to do. That gives me a little bit of a shiver. Jesus was so confident in the kingdom that he is not swayed. He is not pushed. He is not jerked around by some big bully called death. Death can come to any of us. It comes to his best friend, Lazarus, and he does not say, oh my gosh, death, what a horrible tragedy this has been. Whoever will come and save us, God, if you were here now, my Father in heaven, if you were here now, we could have prevented this whole thing. In fact, why don't we just look at everyone and just prevent death for everyone? Why is Lazarus so special? Let's just knock this out right here. Death does not rule. Death is not our king any longer. In fact, Jesus spends so little of his time consumed with sickness and death. People that are healed, he doesn't linger there and say, how is the experience of being dead? What did you see and feel? Tell me of your obsession of death. All things are under his control and death is just another one of those things that he has the power over. Remember in our first week, the devil took him to that, the highest point in Jerusalem and said, here are all the powers of the nations. And Jesus says, I don't want them. I don't want them. I have power over death. Why would I want power of a nation? Why would I want earthly power when I have a spirit in me of a God who can raise the dead? You've seen this before. Elijah was here and he did it. Is this not a sign of God? But Martha misunderstands. Oh, Martha. She says, oh, yes, I believe we will rise again in the life to come, that I will see Lazarus once again. Isn't that great? That's something, but I could have him here now, God. Lord, if you had been here, I could still have my brother Lazarus, and we could be laughing and joking and singing around the fire, but instead, you were not here, and he's gone, and I won't see him until the next life. And Martha misunderstands. And Jesus didn't come bringing resurrection like a party trick. Okay, hear this. Jesus didn't come with resurrection. Jesus didn't come with some sort of plan to say, hey, let's say these prayers and do these things. Jesus is the resurrection. It goes with him. He doesn't have to bring it along. He doesn't have to do those things. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. It's not some trick to be won. He confirms that the kingdom is here now. Death and glory are connected in the life of Jesus. 
that this death of Lazarus will bring glory to God. And what better way can we use death than to bring glory to God? Amen? That this body is worth nothing. That this thing that we have, that these buildings and this worship is worth nothing unless it is used to glorify God. And Jesus says, let's use Lazarus as a way to glorify God because the best way to do that is to bring him back to life. I think Lazarus would agree that he would like to glorify God. And if that means he's got to take a four-day nap, then that's what we'll do. Because here comes Jesus, the resurrection himself, and says, you know what? Glory to God in everything we do. Death means nothing to us. It means nothing to Jesus. But things are going to get worse for Jesus because there's two sisters in this story. And where one sister is pretty awful, there's another sister who's right along for the ride. So Mary comes on the scene. Having said this to Martha, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you, which, by the way, is a lie. Jesus did not say, oh, by the way, I had so much fun talking with you, Martha. I'd like to talk to your sister as well. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him and probably said, see, see how easy it is. You call and I drop everything and I come and see you. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They'd followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, spoiler alert, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I like to think that Martha and Mary were working together on this one. When Jesus gets here, we're only saying one thing. We're both on message on this one. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Say it back to me. Lord, if you hadn't been here, this wouldn't have happened. Okay, we got it. That's our message. We're sticking to it. Whatever he says, that's what we're saying. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? That's a good question. And we struggled with that question in the first half. Why did Jesus delay? to glorify God. So the second question that we encounter in this text is why does Jesus cry? Jesus knows something we don't know. He knows that Lazarus is going to live. He knows that what he is about to do is going to glorify God beyond anything we can imagine. So standing in that tomb why does he cry? The 
Because Jesus is human. He's not just God. In his deep humanity, he sees his friends crying. And he's deeply moved in his spirit. And I think that his encounter with Martha allows us to see how he glorifies God. But I think that in his encounter with Mary, Jesus wants to challenge us. And he wants us to remind us that Jesus cares about all of it more than we do. This has been such an important and powerful message in my life over these last years. By the way, tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of Hyphen Church. Thank you. And this phrase has been on my heart through that entire year. That Jesus cares about all of it more than us. On those days when it's hard to get out of bed, when it's hard to carry all the equipment in, when it's hard to find volunteers, when it's hard to get more people, Jesus cares about it more than me. And when people are sick and when things hurt at the job and when things aren't going the way it needs to go and when we stand at the tomb and say, why weren't you here, God? We know that God cares about it more than we do because he stood there and he weeps along with us. He cries in our heartache. He cries in our failings. He cries along with us. He feels what we feel. God came to earth as Jesus to proclaim the kingdom, but also to be deeply moved by the people around him. I don't know what this does for you in your life, but I know for me, the fact that I have a savior who cares about all of it more than I do. And I care about it a lot because I ran to Jesus outside of the city and I said, if you had been here, he'd still be alive. I know that for a fact. And I'm gonna cry with my friends. I'm gonna stand at the tomb and I'm gonna cry. And I know it doesn't mean a lot to you because you weren't here when it happened. And Jesus is like, you are so wrong, Mary. You're so wrong because I care about it more than you ever will. Your life is so precious to me and everything that you do to the glory of God is important to me. So where was I in the sickness? I was right there alongside of you weeping and moaning and crying. We have a savior and a God who does that. Jesus cares about it more than you do. All of it. And in fact, we use this phrase in the bad times. But think about the good times too. How happy you are when your son or daughter makes a good grade or you get the job promotion 
or something big happens in your life that you'd been praying about and you're overwhelmed and excited and happy and praising God, God cares about it more than you do. And that's what he's come to challenge us on, that this encounter with Jesus brings us closer to the truth, that he is above everything a God of compassion and love and heartbreak. And so because he cares so much, this is what he does. He heals Lazarus. In fact, he only uses three words, doesn't he? Lazarus, come forth. And he stunk. And there among the people, among those who hadn't believed, among those who were still trying to believe, among those who had lost their ways, they smelled him and they saw him walk out of that tomb because Jesus had called his name. He said, get those clothes off of him. He's not dead anymore. Now, here's the last thing. The most remarkable thing about this story is what the sisters have learned. Because Jesus is there standing with Mary. And he asks her, where have you laid him? And on Sunday morning at the tomb, she talks to the man and she asks him in chapter 20, where have you laid him? Martha and Mary are changed by this encounter with Christ. In giving Lazarus his life back, Jesus has given up his. And they come to him on Sunday morning in the tomb and they want to see him. They want to see their friend who they were completely wrong about. They want to see their friend so they can stand and weep with him, knowing that there is a God who weeps along with them at the loss of his own son. Why are any of us spared when Jesus wasn't?